Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Central Texas Living with Ann Harder. Dr. Ray Perryman, president and CEO of the Perryman Group in Central Texas, is our guest today. You know, state and local economies just beginning their first steps in reopening after the unprecedented shutdown due to COVID-19. And uh, Dr. Perryman, thank you so much. My pleasure, Ann. For spending some time. Um, you are the preeminent economist and developer of economic research and analysis models, and I know you're very much in the band these days. I've been a little busy. <laughs> well, your newsletters keep us up to date on what's happening with the economy. Uh, now, you said back on April 3rd, you were projecting the cost to the U.S. economy of $972 billion, uh, costing 11.4 million job years. Um, are, are any of these numbers changing that you can see? Oh, they're changing every day. I mean, I mean, we're we're trying to keep a handle on it. We'll be releasing some more numbers tomorrow uh, as well. They, they haven't changed dramatically uh, during that time, uh, but we have changed some. We're now calling for around, uh, I think it's, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it's somewhere around 1.2 million jobs measured compared to what we thought this year would be, and about 900,000 as, as compared to last year. So, so um, I'm sorry, that's that's for, that's for the state of Texas. I I, I said that wrong. About 12.2 million for the U.S. Uh, relative to uh, to uh, what we expected this year, and then about oh about 9.8 million uh, uh, less than what we had last year. So so not that that much of an average loss over the course of the year. Obviously, it'll probably be more for the next few months, and then we start to pick back up later in the year. So you advise U.S. cabinet level, are, are, are they picking your brain in, uh, in Washington these days? I, I, am, I am constantly involved in Washington uh, with the Department of Energy and, 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 and the Department of Labor, Department of Commerce and a number of others, as well as, uh, as, well as here in Texas with the task forces that are formed to, uh, to deal with opening up Texas. So I, that, that's one, one aspect of many things that are going on right now with us. We, yes, that is one thing that keeps us fairly busy. Well, you, of course, you um, 40 years ago began developing these economic models. Did you ever dream that the economy would just voluntarily come to a screeching halt over something like a virus? <clears throat> well, this, this is unprecedented. I mean, I mean, we have never seen anything like this uh, in, in our history. The closest thing we have uh, in economic history is the Spanish flu back in 1918. And even I'm not old enough to quite remember that one. But, uh, but even then, we were a much smaller economy. 
We were not a major world power. The Federal Reserve was only five years old, so we didn't have, they didn't have the policy tools they have now. We didn't understand as much about economic policy as we do now. And so there were so many things different, you really can't draw a lot of parallels there. Uh, so, so we've never seen anything to shut down an economy this large and literally the economy of the entire globe in such a rapid manner as, as what this has done. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the effects on the local economy. We were talking about the U.S. economy. Texas is kind of, I always think, you know, that's kind of your focus. Um, but so what is the state, well, what are we looking at um, in, the coming, in the coming weeks and then maybe a year from now? Well, we're looking for some pretty substantial losses in Texas this time around. Historically, we've done a little bit better at economic downturns than some other places. And it appears at this point, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. We still haven't done as much testing as we could have in Texas. But right now, we have avoided the worst of it. Hopefully, we started socially distancing soon enough to, uh, to avoid some of the worst of this. We, at, at this point in time, uh, we've had about a little over 1% of the reported deaths in the country, and we're about 9% of the population. So, so we've done much better than, than the rest of the country on the whole. Hopefully that continues and, and we don't have to go through any, any more protracted periods and worse periods of what we're going through now. We really won't know that for a few weeks. But, uh, but of course in Texas, in addition to the, to the shutting down of our economy, which has been so sizable, we've also had the huge impacts of what's happening in the oil and gas markets. And that's, that's made it a little bit worse in Texas. And then the other thing that's kind of making it a little bit worse this time, we have a pretty good economic structure in Texas and we're pretty well set up for recoveries and that sort of thing from, from normal economic downturns. But our health infrastructure is really not as strong as a lot of other places. We have some of the best hospitals in the, in the country, in the world here in Texas. But in terms of our rural health care system, our access to health care for a lot of folks and that sort of thing, we lag a lot of other states. And consequently, that may be a drag on our ability to recover us to some extent as we try to come back. I hadn't even thought about you really kind of analyzing the whole healthcare aspect of this. Um, I did want to talk some more about the the oil and gas industries. I know I've got kids in Oklahoma, and Oklahoma is so dependent on on oil and gas, and they they were already in a terrible downturn as it was. You know, and this is again, this took something like shutting down the global economy. I mean, literally, the demand for oil has dropped about twenty five percent plus already. It dropped about twenty percent in about ten days in the entire world. That, that's something that can only happen if you shut things down. I mean, we just, we've never seen anything like this before happening this quickly and this suddenly. And even though there's now been, after some, some fussing around, there's now been an agreement among the OPEC countries, our production will go down because the shale whales that have been driving a lot of our production in the United States, they tend to come on with a lot of production up front and then, and then they decline pretty quickly. And so you have to have them constantly coming on to increase production. And it obviously, we're not bringing new wells online. Our production will go down. We, that probably is going to cut the, the, the world of overall supply, all those things combined, by about oh, 14, 15 million barrels a day, uh, which is a huge cut. But the demand has dropped almost 30 million barrels a day. So we're still behind, and literally, there's no place to store it. And, and people are actually having to pay now as they produce oil to have someone store it somewhere. I mean, we're getting those types of situations. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a very difficult situation. I think if there is a silver lining to it, and, and it's very difficult to talk about silver linings these days, it's the fact that this will be temporary. Uh, because what we've seen in the past is, we go back to the 80s, for example, when we had the oil and gas crunch uh, here in Texas. Right after that came the savings and loan crisis and the, uh, the, the, the real estate crisis and that sort of thing. It took a long time for the economy to recover. If you go back even further, 
back in the 1930s, oil got down to a dime a barrel over the Cuba oil field in East Texas, and you had the depression in the Dust Bowl. What we have this time is a health crisis. And once we're able to reopen the economy, it can recover fairly quickly. So I think this, this time around, we're looking at a matter of months as opposed to years, but the, but the fall has been very fast and very hard. Oh, it's it's been, you know, as you said, it's unprecedented for us to, to do this to ourselves. And when we, there's ebbs and flows in the economy, um, but, but just to say, okay, nobody's gonna go to work. Well, we're beginning those little tottering steps of opening some things. I'm not, you know, the, the retail, let's talk a little bit about retail. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, grocery yeah. stores, obviously, still very important, you know. Well, obviously, grocery stores and pharmacies have actually seen an increase in their volume from what oh, yeah. well, we have right now. I was, I was talking to a friend who works uh, for a car dealership, and she said, we've had our best month ever. Well, car dealerships, it, it sort of depends on where you are and how you're doing. It's kind of iffy, but, but obviously, the interest rates have dropped a lot, and that's helped, and, and, and that kind of varies depending on where you are and, and and what, how you're able to leverage some of the things and that sort of thing. Some places actually have it where you can't go in car dealership without an appointment. But, uh, but that, that varies a lot around the country. But, uh, but on the whole, we've, we've shut down a big chunk of retail and, and the, the task force, the, the strike force is trying to open retail beginning this week on a, on a takeout basis only here in Texas. And that begins to help some uh, with that sector. But obviously that's hurt very hard because Obviously, you have your large chain retailers and they have resources, but your smaller retailers, your locally owned retailers, uh, quite often they don't have the ability to, to go two or three months with essentially no revenue. And, and they, just, they just simply don't have that. And, and the federal programs that are coming in are trying to help some with that. They're making some progress. They're, they're finally getting organized and getting money out the door in, in, a, in, in a better manner. Uh, but it's just very difficult to sustain that. And it's very important that you sustain that structure because, again, this is going to come back quickly. But if you, if you didn't survive the interim, that, that doesn't matter so much to you. So it's very important we do everything we can to keep the basic structure together. And you're seeing a lot of, a lot of federal, state, and local activity geared around that. But retail is certainly one area that's been particularly hard hit uh, because uh, people are just not, people in most cases can't go out and buy things at many stores. And even in others, they're choosing not to or they're being spaced out for only a few people at a time to be in the stores. And that type of thing. So that, that's created some real difficulty. That's one of the sectors our modeling shows is particularly hard hit. And unfortunately, it's a sector that has a lot of jobs in it. You, you can take a big manufacturing plant, and sometimes they can operate a whole shift of 10 or 15 workers and produce a lot of stuff. In, in, in retail, you tend to have people. There's a lot of people employed in retail. So when you have a big disruption in retail, it, it has a big job effect right away. Well, yes, and and uh, you know, for a lot of these small retailers, they they're already so threatened by Amazon. You know, some of those they they may really you know just oh, absolutely that. no question. And and you know, and trying to add value and bring the local things, the things you can bring, and add value to attract consumers. You know, as you talk about the long term implications of what happens afterwards, I mean, I think the economy in twenty twenty five will be about the same size it would have been otherwise, but it will be a different economy. And I think one of the things that will happen is we've already seen the last 10 or 15 years just ongoing exponential growth in online retail and taking a bigger and bigger share every year. We've probably put that on steroids uh, during this situation because a number of people are compelled to shop that way. And, you know, perhaps they discover they like it. And so, and, and so I think as we move forward, or they feel like it's safer. So, so as we move forward, I suspect that trend is already very much in place. 
and very much causing a lot of, of uh, consternation for local re uh, uh, retailers is probably going to escalate to some extent. You mentioned the Fed. What is the role of the Fed in, in all this? Uh, <clears throat> and how, how is this affecting real estate? I mean, you, you kind of touched on that just a bit. Well, the, the Fed's role is often misunderstood. Uh, what the Fed can do in a situation like this is make the economy liquid. And that's very, very important to make, to, to make it where the, all the financial system can continue to function. And they're buying up government securities. They're buying up mortgage securities. <clears throat> they're buying up commercial paper. They're even buying these payroll protection loans. Because what happens is when the banks make a, make a number of these loans, they can exhaust all their capital and they can't, they're not able to make more loans. The Fed's just buying those loans from the banks, which allows them to turn around and make more loans. So the Fed is doing all these things. They're behind the scenes. You don't see them every day. And they're not the sort of thing that stimulates the economy right away. And I mean, everybody would like to see something like that, some magic bullet that's going to stimulate the economy right away. But that's not really the purpose of these. The purpose is, again, to keep that structure together, to keep the financial integrity of the economy together so that when we're ready to come out of this situation, we can start to open things up. Uh, then the low interest rates and the available capital can cause things to, to come back very quickly. So the Fed's playing a huge role in this. And it's a very important role. And frankly, they're doing a very good job at this important time. But it's one that's behind the scenes that you don't see a lot and you don't see reflected in, in the numbers, except for the fact they'd be a whole lot worse in a few months if the Fed wasn't doing what it's doing. The president talks a lot about uh, added um, money going into infrastructure. What, what do you see as Texas's need uh, where that is concerned and, and generating jobs and so forth? In, in terms of infrastructure? Mm -hmm. uh, well, Texas obviously needs some infrastructure. I mean, we, we have always had a pretty good road system in Texas, but, but as, as those of you in Waco know right now, it, it gets pretty crowded sometimes out there these days. <laughs> And uh, we've looked at mass transit options. We've looked at, of course, high-speed rail options and that sort of thing. But we have, a, we have a rapidly growing population in Texas, and we're going to continue to have a rapidly growing population in Texas after this is over. And we really haven't kept pace with the infrastructure needs. Our congestion numbers go up every year. And so Texas has a lot of critical needs in terms of infrastructure. And then many other many cities have needs as well. I know the city of Waco decided a few years ago to make some substantial investments in water and sewer and that sort of thing. And, and that's, those things are a very important part of infrastructure as well. And uh, <clears throat> so we, there are a lot of shortcomings in that. There's a lot of deferred maintenance. Uh, the budget amounts that we ha have for those things, you know, basically in recent years, they've just about been able to keep up with maintenance and not really, not really add a lot of highway miles to the system. And that's going to get worse in the short term because the primary source of funding for highways in Texas, apart from federal dollars, which is going to be very, very squeezed, is the gasoline tax. And obviously, people aren't driving as much during this period, so consequently, the state's going to collect less in gasoline tax. And so that's going to put even additional strain on, on our ability to do that. So, so it, it's something that's impacted. There's been talk for 20 years about a major infrastructure bill for the country. And thus far, the, the political parties have not been able to, to get it together. This might be the impetus to get something like that done, because somewhat like the programs back in the Great Depression, all of this, this is not the same thing at all. But they're, that's something the government can do that's clearly a public good, but it also puts a lot of people to work. You mentioned the, you know, the parties working together. Uh, you know, there just seems to be still so much of a huge schism 
with this. And now people are taking sides. Oh, no, we don't need to go back to work. Oh, no, 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 we're all going to die. To we've got to go back to work. You know, obviously, as an economist, I kind of figure where you fall on this. But how can you kind of make it understandable for folks? Well, well, in, in all honesty, there are things on both sides. You're seeing demonstrations now, that sort of thing. And there's very, there's very real issues and a lot of there's a, a huge amount of hardship being felt on the health side and a huge amount of hardship being felt on the economic side. What I would, what I would say, Annie, is this is a health crisis that started an economic crisis. The economy structure was, was doing okay. I mean, it wasn't perfect by any means. It was doing just fine before this started. We were in our 11th year of economic growth. We'd never done that before in the history of the country. So, I mean, we, we were doing fine in terms of the economy before this started. So the only way we could ultimately solve the economic crisis is to solve the health crisis. So, I mean, the first advice I would give anybody is listen to the health professionals, listen to the, the, the virologists, the epidemiologists, and those kind of folks, because the one thing that would be absolutely terrible above anything we've seen thus far economically in this is if we had to do this twice. I mean, we need to open the economy as we can in a prudent way, but in doing so, we need to be mindful of the health risks that are involved and try to manage those risks as best we can. Because if, if you just think about the devastating effects it's had already. Think if we opened up the economy, say, in June or July, and had to turn around and shut it down again in August or September. That would take a lot of people out of the economy for good, and, and, and it would be devastating. So we, we cannot afford to do this twice. So I would say, and this may not be the answer you expect from the economists, but the single most important thing to do is solve what caused the problem and then, then let the private sector get involved and get us back going. And, and, and you'll see a lot of ingenuity, a lot of creativity. The market will do what the market does and help bring the economy back. Well, that, that said, what do, you, what do you see as, you know, a, a coming new normal for us? I mean, uh, the question is, you know, just how comfortable people are going to be going to a football game or, you know, <laughs> well, like these mass gatherings. Yeah, it, it, it all depends. I mean, if you look at the history of America, what you find is that we tend to be resilient and we tend to get comfortable again pretty quickly. That's just been our history. Now, we haven't seen anything exactly like this, but if you take 9-11 as an example, I remember, of course, I was on the plane the first day they could fly again. And, and I think the next six days after that, because that's my life. But most of the planes were empty for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden, everybody was flying as much as they ever flew. You know, and, and, and after, after the attacks on 9-11, I mean, we, we were impacted by these things. I think it will take longer than that for people to get comfortable in mass crowds again, like big stadiums full of people and that sort of thing. I think we'll probably see some, some distancing requirements, at least until people are confident we have a vaccine and have this thing uh, pretty much well, well in hand. So I think there, you know, there will be some changes. I think companies that are looking at where to locate and where to invest uh, in the future are going to take a much closer look at the healthcare system and the safety net infrastructure of communities than they have in the past. Um, I think our, our consumer behavior, I've, I've been talking to a lot of, of major retailers and suppliers for retailers and that sort of thing in the past week, so I think I've been talking to everybody. <laughs> That's one group I've been talking to. You know, they say, we're going to do what the market demands of us, whatever the regulations are. For example, if, if you were to say, you don't, you don't have to wear a mask, as an example, but our customers are more comfortable if our people are wearing masks, then we're gonna wear masks because we have to do whatever it takes to make the customers feel comfortable again. Now, I suspect you'll see a lot of that at first, and then assuming we get better control, and it's not coming back and, and resurfacing and we start getting vaccines, you'll see a lot of that let up. So again, I think four or five years from now, there'll be some things that are different about the economy. Again, I think online retailing will, will 
progressive or faster than it has before. But I think a lot of things will probably look the same in four or five years. But in the interim, there are going to be some changes, and we are going to have to restore confidence in the economy. I mean, it's just all so uncharted waters. I mean, we no, nobody knows really what's going to happen. But you know, you've spent your your professional life working on model, working on ways to figure this out. And and you know, I love reading the information about you. You know, you, you just love you know getting a problem and bring bringing it to a solution for a client or whatever. And this is a pretty big problem. It is indeed, and, and it's, you know, people like myself, I mean, we, 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 we like to work on these kinds of issues. We often wish we didn't have to work on these kinds of issues. I've gotten a lot of grief today. I told some of the guys in the oil and gas sector two or three weeks ago uh, that, that prices would go negative, and as we're taping this, that, that actually happened on, on the day that we're taping this, and, <laughs> and who knows what it'll be like on the day people hear it. But, right. uh, but uh, you know, I was telling a lot of today, I really didn't want to be right about that one. <laughs> you know, there's times... There's times you wish you were wrong about some of these things, yeah. but uh, but yeah, that it is. It's interesting to have the perspective and to have the resources, the numbers. And again, we don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But what we can do is we can take the best information out there and put it together in a systematic form, so you can see if, if things happen, how they interact with one another, and that sort of thing. And uh, and and so uh, you know, we we can do that with literally millions of, of equations and millions of variables and, and, and get a sense of what, what it might look like. And that tends to be very useful for people at a time like this, because I think one of the things we're lacking, and, and one of the things that causes a lot of the difficulties we're having right now is the sheer uncertainty. And, and again, we certainly can't, can't say definitively what's going to happen, but we, we were able to shed a light on that. And I do like being able to be a part of that. I've, I have been blessed to do that a lot over the past few very kind and said 40 years, I think it's more like 45, but, but, but uh, uh, we've been very blessed to do that over a long period of time. And, and, and I feel very fortunate. Well, you are a brilliant resource, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you could spend some time with us today. And uh, folks can certainly go to your website and learn more. Absolutely. It's just perrymangroup.com. And we are posting, every time we put out new analysis of the virus or anything like that, we're posting it out there. If there's a column I write, we're posting it out there. If there's, a, if, if there's a, some of the interviews and speeches we're doing virtually, if you can, we post some of those out there. And all that information is just there for people to pick up. We're not trying to sell it to you or anything like that. We got some stuff there we'd be happy to sell you, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, but, uh, but all the things that have to do with the virus, we're just putting those out as a public service. And invite anybody that wants to, to, to come out and look at them because we really feel like the more we're informed, the better decisions we can make and the more comfort we can have as we try to work our way through this thing. Well, you are an amazing resource, and I thank you again. And that's uh, the Perryman Group. Uh, Dr. Ray Perryman, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Ann. Thank you. Stay safe. You too. Van Davis joins me now. She is the Assistant Director of Wellness, Fidwell Programs at Baylor. And Van, you know, we are just consumed with this uh, quarantine and this social distancing and we're not able to go to the gym and and people are you know going through a grieving period and it's just affecting us physically well it what, are you, what are you seeing with the you know the friends you have and the people that you work with well first of all you know 
our normal is gone. So trying to for, uh, find new normal for all of us, this is, you know, has been a difficult time, but most importantly is try to, trying to stay on top of what we have going on, try to relieve stress, trying to, to build some energy that we need because we are at home, we are taking care of our families. You know, we do need to stay active and to be able to find ways. And when I say active, it doesn't mean you have to go run a, a, you know, a, a marathon or anything like that, which we can anyway, but to be able to just go out for a walk, to be able to take the family out for a family walk, to be able to get on our laptop and do some virtual workouts, uh, to be able to bring the family together and do some, you know, some fun games outdoors or even inside. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do to at least stay active and to move our bodies. So important, Anne. Yeah, I remember as a kid, girl, you said that. I, I, I'm looking outside at the sidewalk. Man, how many hours of hopscotch did I used to play as a kid? And I wonder, do kids even do that anymore? I have not seen, I mean, in, in years. But one thing I, I have seen, though, which has been so positive for me, my husband and I walk every day after we finish work. And we have seen, I did not even realize we have this many kids in our neighborhoods. So just walking around, we're seeing families, you know, coming out, walking together. We see kids on the bicycles and families walking behind. It, it's been really beautiful sight to see. And I do hope that when all of this is over, that we can continue to be intentional about bringing the family outdoors and, and moving our bodies. I think that's been so positive for me. Well, yeah, I think that's right. I think in, in some ways we're maybe even a little more connected with our neighbors than, uh, than we have been in the past. That's right. And I think, you know, people are, are looking at each other, they're waving at each other as they're walking by, you know, the neighbors. I think it's, 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 we need to do something. So, you know, finding to um, people are wanting to be outdoors. You know, it, it's kind of one of those things when you don't have something, you, you don't know what you, you miss until it's gone. Well, you don't know that how much we miss the outdoors until we can't go out there. Uh, but still that, you know, we are allowed to be outside to walk, to exercise, and that's still great. Now, if we cannot do that, that's gonna be difficult for a lot of people. So while we still can, let's really you know, uh, be intentional about going outside. And if we can, like yesterday, it rained a little bit. Um, so you know, there's a lot of things that's happening online right now. Uh, in, let's say um, our Baylor Fitwell Facebook page alone, we have, we upload eight new workouts every week you know my staff you know they they put together these awesome videos from bar to yoga to circuit training boxing conditioning so our members in our baylor community can stay active that way but our waco community can also go on there and be able to work out with with our staff um and just i mean just so much happening online and a lot of the companies are making this time free for their memberships and of course, when COVID-19 is over, they're gonna start charging again, but take the advantage right now uh, of be able to find these great exercises online for free. Well, that's really cool because I know you've done, you've done several of these videos. You even uh, went to uh, a President Livingstone's house and, uh, and did something with the, with the first family. That was that was totally the highlight of my my fitness career. You know, it was it was one of those things that we, we talked about it and boom, you know, we did it right away. There's no practice. There's it was all 
impromptu, you know, whatever you saw <laughs> is what actually happened. And they were so gracious. And Brad Livingstone, he is such a hoot. Yes, and um, yeah, so I even have on my on my Van Davis Facebook page a lot of different exercises. But more importantly, the ones that I really would like to encourage people to come to do is our chair stretching routine. You get to That's a good idea. Yes, I think some people are intimidated by e even doing something with the video, um, but but this way they can watch and you demonstrate just you know some stretching and that kind of thing. Right, and I'm, I'm sitting in the chair and, and people are doing it with me. So uh, the viewers can just click on it and be able to you know, put on a, you know, maybe good uh, relaxation music or something and they can just do these stretches at the end of the day or you know, be, during lunchtime, whenever they can. And they can do it you know, every day a week. Um, it's just a great time and great ways to relieve some stress. Um, you know, we talk about the freshman 15. <laughs> I know you're familiar, with, you're familiar with that, you know, working in a, a college setting. Um, but, you know, we're hearing a lot about the Corona 15. And, you know, it's, I don't know, we just have so much, seems like more opportunity to sit around and snack and go for the comfort foods and all that kind of thing. How can we combat that? Well, first of all, when we get bored, we eat, we tend to eat. You know, I, I, my husband and I, we were just talking about this the other day that, you know, I mean, an hour and a half after we just finished dinner, you know, we're snacking on something because we'll watch oh, TV, you know, things like that. So it's, it, I, I'm sure everyone I've, uh, I have talked to uh, are in the same boat because you're bored and there's nothing else to do. I would say first thing uh, that, that has helped us is that we prepare healthy snacks um, I have fresh fruits and vegetables that's all cut up uh, and is in Tupperware. So when we need to snack, you know, I can easily just pull that out and, and we're snacking on something that is healthier. Um, popcorn, is, it's good to, to snack on, but you know, those butter popcorn is not that great. Um, <laughs> but one thing that has helped, and I've been telling people to do this, is when you feel like you need to snack on something and you know it's not because you're hungry, to get a tall glass of ice water and drink that slowly and just enjoy that. And a lot of time, just having that in our system, the, the, the craving of snacks goes away. So our body really doesn't care what you put in as long as something. So why not put a glass of water in, which you know is it's just helpful for you anyway. So, so before you snack, drink a glass of you know, uh, water and see if you still crave um, to snack. That's good advice. Very good advice. Um, let's go back to the to the issue of of outdoor activity. Now you you mentioned you know marathons, obviously the organized races and those kind of things that a lot of folks like to sign up for. You know those have been canceled or postponed at 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 any rate. Um, but how do you help people that you know are basically starting from scratch um, to to develop a walking program or even a running program? Well, the first thing is, you know, you need to start somewhere. If you have not done a mile walk before, I would just say, you know, put on a good pair of walking shoes and just time yourself to see how far you can walk before you get tired and then come home. Maybe day one, you got six minutes in. Day two, go out and do the same thing. Day three, maybe you can go for seven minutes. So you can do it by time, a little at a time, uh, progress by that. 
or you can drive your car and, and mark one mile around your neighborhood. And your goal is to be able to walk that mile. So at first you might be able to go up for a quarter of a mile and then you come home. So that's actually half a mile. Um, and then the next time go half a mile, then you come home and that will be a mile. So just a little bit at a time. So you can go market by distance, a little bit of time, build it up to where you can walk regularly a mile. And when that mile is easy, then you can go for a mile and a half. Or if, um, if that six minutes turns into 15 minutes and you're not tired yet, go for 16. And before you know, if you can keep this consistent, by all, when COVID-19 is over, you might be able to go and, and sign up for a 5K and celebrate you know, the end of COVID-19 by a 5K walk or a 5K jog. Um, so yeah, and, and most important thing is, if you're, if you're not by yourself, take your family out there to do it with you. And I think you know, it's a win-win for the whole family. Well, I heard, heard a story the other day uh, from you about uh, helping some ladies uh, get ready for a 50-mile uh, <laughs> Wanda Rayleigh, one of the, one of the ladies who was on it, and she was, you say, she was uh, older. She was when, 71 when, when we she that. undertook this. Yep. It's incredible. So, you know, did they just start out with slowly like you're talking about now, and, and then they well, did? One thing that's been great, uh, that was great about these uh, four ladies is that they have all been walkers. They walk about three miles every day, uh, on a, uh, generally three, four miles. So they, I didn't have to start them from, from right. the couch to, to mm -hmm. one mile. So, but walking four miles a day to try to walk 20, uh, you know, three miles a day on one day is, is, is totally different. So we, we trained for about two and a half months and uh, we progressed it from just walking three miles um, each week to four miles to five miles. One of the training days, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks before we actually went to uh, Washington DC to do our 50 mile walk is that they, we had to walk, uh, I think it was 18 or it was something, almost 20 miles that day. It was a long walk. So we went to Hart Patterson truck and we started at eight o'clock in the morning and it took us all day because it doesn't matter how fast you, you walk, it's still gonna take you, you know, a, a long time to walk a mile, a long time to walk five miles. But it took us probably almost all day, about eight hours. We had people setting up a table for waters and we just walked by, drink water. We did stuff for lunch break and then we had a nice long stretch and I had a massage therapist come and gave us a little leg massage at the end. So it was, it was, it was fun and they did a great job. They raised a lot of money for MS and then we went to DC. They were the stars, they were rock stars. Everybody wanted to know them because they were older than most walkers and they walked faster than most walkers. So it was pretty amazing to, to uh, be a part of that journey. <laughs> well, I was, I was so impressed when I, I heard that. And you know, it's just, it's just very encouraging to me. Something else that you, you were kind of having your little tribe of lady friends uh, get involved with, and that's something called the five-day love yourself challenge. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. What, yeah. what is that? And the five days uh, love challenge actually came to me by my daughter, Bianca, in Houston. And uh, she sent that to me. She said, Mom, why don't you do this with me? And I said, absolutely. And it's pretty much, um, it's an intentional 
self-love activities. So the first day is you write out uh, things you love about yourself. And, you know, we start out with a couple of things. And then before we know it, there's a big long list of what we love about ourselves. And for some people, that's a very difficult exercise. Right. You know, we, we tend to um, be, especially women, we tend to take care of others and we leave ourselves after. So, um, and then a lot of, you know, people don't have the esteem that, um, that's needed to really to self-actualize all the good things that we have about ourselves. So this exercise really can be difficult, but it's so wonderful because, you know, I mean, even just, I love my hair. I love my eyes. I, it doesn't have to be anything that is um, so deep. Once you start with some things that, that you can see, then you begin to self-actualize. Like, you know, I love the way I'm kind to people. I love the way that I, I, like, I, I, I am able to encourage people around me. Then, you know, it gets to be uh, much deeper than just the physical things. But if you, even just physical things about ourselves, sometimes as women, we are so hard on ourselves and we see all the negative things that we don't like. And to be able to sit down and write out the things that we love about ourselves, that is, that, that is just so wonderful. And so day two is to make a playlist of music that, that makes you happy. So I remember uh, sharing uh, this with my daughter. My playlist consists of songs that connect myself to people. Like, you know, uh, songs that my first dance song with Raymond. You know, we, Raymond and I were high school sweethearts. And I still remember my first um, slow dance, which is by the Commodores, a song called Easy, like Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. And so I have songs like that. I have special song that Raymond loves, which is um, um, uh, What a Wonderful Day, um, What a Wonderful World, actually. And then when, I, when my daughter and I compare songs, you know, she's, she has all of these 70s, 80s songs that I grew up with and I'm thinking, my gosh, you're such an old soul. And so we got to share our playlist with each other and that was really cool. And then yesterday was to write out affirmation, positive affirmation about yourself. And then the day four is to cook a, a, a happy meal, to cook a, a, a meal that you like. And then the last day, I'm trying to think, I don't have it in front of me. Um, oh, I, I'll think of it right now, but yeah, so just those things right there, it's, they're simple to do, but yet uh, can be very meaningful. So I really encourage, and I'll go ahead and post, post the, the challenge on my site so people can come to, okay. and I'll tag you, and they can go to you as well. Oh, the last day is approach your problem with mindfulness. That's day five. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good word <laughs> as we... Yep. As we find ourselves in some problems we, we didn't think we'd have, you know, maybe a month or two ago. Um, and you know, one, one thing, Anne, too, uh, is that my life before COVID-19 was, and I just realized this by, you know, when I, I, I stayed home for the first week, realizing how busy my schedule was. Yeah. I mean, it, it started at eight o'clock and sometimes I'm not, I'm not home until 9.30 from a volleyball practice. So it's busy. And to do this challenge, was like, oh, there's no way I have time. And for when, when she sent this to me, I'm going, oh my gosh, I have all the time in the world to be able to do <laughs> something like this. So you know, everyone can do it. You have lots of time to be able to self-reflect and to be able to just bring joy to yourself and to uh, those that you love around you. 
Oh, that's great. Man, I'm going to wrap things up uh, with a, a little short questionnaire. Okay. That, uh, like James Lipton used on his show, Inside the Actor's Studio. Wow, uh, I feel so special. <laughs> here's, here's, here's my version of it. What is your favorite word? Awesome. A-W-E-S-O-M. <laughs> I believe that. that. That's very fitting. What's your least favorite word? Can't. Mm -hmm. And I tell this to my volleyball girls all the time. You know, I do not want to hear, hear the word can't. I want you to say, I'm going to try. So can't uh, just put a stop to everything that is good. Mm -hmm. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Mm. Family and, and people. I am such a people's person. So, you know, if you think COVID-19 is hard, it's really difficult for somebody like myself who loves connection. Um, so people and being connected with people face to face, that's what really gets me going. That's what brings me happiness. What sound do you love? I love the sound of the ocean. I don't like going into the ocean, but I like the sound of the ocean and the coconut tree, you know, um, the wind blowing the co coconut tree. That okay. sound to me, that's what I go to sleep with. I have this, this ocean spa music that I listen to, and it just puts me out and it calms me throughout the night. Mm. What sound do you hate? Screeching, screeching sound. When I go to my dentist to clean my teeth, I cannot stand that. And oh, thank you for reminding me that. Um, oh, very good. <laughs> okay, so what other profession would you like to try? Oh, okay. So I told, I always tell my family, I would love to have the talent, um, the singing talent of Celine Dion mm -hmm. and the dancing talent of, of Janet Jackson and be on stage but not to, 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 to raise money and to, to be rich, but to be able to use that talent and to do a concert once a week. And the money that I raised, I would put all of that to helping different countries and Bill Wells, Bill, you know, just to give to the poor. That's what I would love to do. Oh my goodness, that's what a, what a wonderful aspiration. What, what job do you know you would not like at all? Okay, this is true story. <laughs> You know, all, I've never regretted anything in my whole entire life, except one thing. Um, I was driven by, I was young, and um, I was a job was created for me to be working at the VA hospital, uh, not a hospital, a VA as an adjudicator. And I would have the same job as my husband, but it was a desk job. I actually wore heels and, and had real clothes on, and I lasted two weeks, and. Um, so any job that puts me behind a desk all day long, I cannot. All right, you know that. All right, finally, what do you want to hear God say to you as you arrive at the pearly gates? I want him to say, job well done, Van. You did everything that I gave you the gifts and talent to do, and that's to live enthusiastically, and that's to help every pre uh, person that God's put in my path. Well, you are the most enthusiastic person I think I've ever known. <laughs> and I appreciate you sharing some of that with us today as, uh, as we're all kind of going through uncharted waters and, and trying to figure things out and stay healthy and 
mentally well and, and everything else. So I appreciate your expertise. Thank you, Anne, so much for your invitation for this. All right. Thanks. God bless. Central Texas Living is part of the Rogue Media Network family. Be sure to check out their other shows at roguemedianetwork.com. Please rate us five stars on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Living, the podcast. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.